You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. Uh, we're excited to say that we're coming up on our 50th interview, our 50th episode. So thanks to all of you who are listeners uh, and, and to those of you who have been on the show uh, and to all of those who have reached out. It's it's nice uh, when some of you guys reach out and, and tell, you, tell us that you've enjoyed the show, that you've learned from it. It's rewarding for us uh, and for the time that we spend in trying to put these interviews together and, and get in contact with these millionaires. So thanks again for listening. If you'd like to be on the show as either a guest interview or a millionaire interview, uh, feel free to reach out to us. Our email is millionairesunveiled at gmail.com, or you can find us at our website, millionairesunveiled.com. Per usual, if you'd like to invest in some multifamily opportunities, uh, we've got a couple deals coming up here soon uh, in the multifamily space in both the, the Northeast region and the Southwest region is where we typically do our deals. So if you'd like more information on that, please feel free to reach out. Uh, Historically, IRRs have been in the 20s. Uh, If you have any questions for any of our millionaire interviews, feel free to reach out. A couple of you have. We try to incorporate that in some of the interviews. We're trying to to branch out and kind of change up these interviews so they don't become monotonous, become the same over and over. We continue to work on other things with the show, including audio quality. And so thanks again for listening. Let's get into the introduction for today's episode. So on today's episode, we talked to Dora, and Dora is a CPA, started her her career with a big four accounting firm, Deloitte, and was there for a while, made senior manager, and then decided to go into the public sector, and has worked for the government for quite some time now. And we we have a really interesting conversation with Dora because she has kind of had this career navigation that's gone to a high intense, uh, you know, high paid environment to a low lower paid environment and not so intense and her net worth right now is just over one million dollars and we kind of talk about her journey to get there you know it's interesting she thought she'd actually never end up there and she's kind of changed her her mindset and what she's done and and has you know really saved and you know done this all by herself her assets are mainly comprised of some retirement accounts and then a couple different properties between the northeast and and down in florida with a rental property that's also kind of a vacation property so without further ado let's get in the interview with dora welcome to the millionaires unveiled podcast today on the show we have dora dora do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and what you're up to and what what you're doing now hi thanks for having me guys um uh, very flattered that uh, you were willing to interview me. So um, uh, I'm happy to talk about my background and um, how I got to where I am. Uh, certainly a very re- rewarding um, um, uh, platform to reach. Um, and not, I'm not quite sure that, you know, I knew earlier in my life that I would be here. But anyway, um, I've been a CPA my whole life uh, or my whole working career. And um uh, I've always been um, passionate about saving money. Um, I've always lived below my means, um, but I had I had goals that I set for myself. For example, I knew I wanted to be a homeowner very early in life. I guess it's just a Long Island suburban thing. Um, that's what I can attribute that to. Um, and from there, 
just, you know, continue to um, uh, always have um, a, a strong cushion of savings in the bank. And um, in the past few years since I've become a CP, uh, CFP, uh, I've really um, have aggressively changed my uh, my investment strategy. I'm not sure that I ever had one. And that the reason for that is because I always had a very successful career and I always relied upon my um, my uh, my earnings to support my lifestyle. Um, at one point, I thought I would never retire. Uh, you know, retirement always seemed a long way away. I was uh, a bit of a workaholic, so um, I always, uh, you know, look forward to working. What's the next best thing for me to work on? And, um, you know, for that reason, I didn't quite take it as so seriously. But um, I would have to say since um, the economy, you know, the bottom dropped out of the economy in 2008, um, uh, I had some uh, setbacks in my career. I lost my job like a lot of other people. And um, I took a much lower paying job now with uh, the government. Where, where were but, you working before the government? Um, I was, at the time I lost my job, I was a senior manager um, in, the, um, in one of the tax groups with Deloitte. And I did over 10 years of my career with Bear Stearns in the corporate tax department. So I've been in and out of um, public and uh, private accounting firms and um, uh, corporate, large corporate tax departments. So, um, but you know, the, the hours are, um, the hours are, uh, you know, not fun. It's, it's very stressful. And I exchanged all that for um, a secure, stable job with uh, with the government. So um, it, you know, the the pay cut is really not much fun. Um, although um, I'm eight years in, and you know, very quickly after you know you build up, um, you know, you can move around to different positions. I got promoted about five years ago, um, and. Uh, um, I'm, I'm at a decent pay right now. It's it's not great. It's certainly not what I would be making on the outside if um, if I stayed with my tax career. But um, you know the benefits uh, really do add up, and um, I think I'm going to have a a rewarding pension when when I'm when is all said and done. And um, you know that with my um, the thrift savings plan, which is the equivalent of the 401k. Mm -hmm. um, so with all that. Um, you know, it'll, it will have been worth it. And, um, uh, since I now, uh, you know, a combination of things of making less money. So I'm a little bit more serious about how that money is managed, but I also have more time to myself to think about how I'm managing things instead of just getting, uh, a monthly statement or a quarterly statement, throwing it in the drawer and never having time to focus on these things because when I was constantly working, there's no time to manage personal affairs. Good stuff. And what is your net worth today? Uh, 1.2 million. And how is that divided? Um, okay, so I have my principal residence on the conservative side, I would say 400,000. Is uh, that paid for? I also own a, um, a con. 
Yes, I have no mortgage. Uh, a very small home equity loan, like about $25,000. Okay, awesome. Um, uh, okay, um, I own a, uh, a condo in Florida with my sister. Um, the net worth about, I mean, the uh, the value of that right now is a, between 140 and 150, but we have uh, about $100,000 mortgage on it. And I have uh, about thirty-five thousand dollars personally invested. So if we do, if we were to sell it, I would probably just break even on it. Um, with the the tax benefits that we've taken so far, um, I would come out with cash if we were to sell it. You know, based on the you know the net proceeds, I would come out with cash. Um, other than that. Uh, I have about $300,000 in Vanguard funds, and that's split up about 35% each to um, a U.S. stock index fund and um, a, a bond index fund, and then 10, 10, and 10% into small cap, emerging markets, and international stock. Um, my other... Uh, Regular brokerage stock um, stock um, ownings are about three hundred nine thousand, and I can give you an idea of which companies if you're interested. I'm not sure if you want wanted a breakdown of that. Yeah, let me just. I'm curious about the uh, the condo in Florida. Is that a rental property or something that you guys keep for vacation? No, it's it's a rental property, and um, as long as we have someone paying the mortgage, um, it's it's really helped our um, you know, investment balance that we've um, had to d uh, dedicate to it. Uh, you know, when, when the economy wasn't doing so well back in 2009 and 2010, we didn't have a tenant for a while. So, you know, that put the burden on us. So every month that we paid the rent, that increased our equity. But, you know, it's, it's you know, you'd rather have less money invested and more, more cash flow coming in. So it's nice when someone else is paying the mortgage, um, but that's how the balances have worked out right now. And um, uh, for a while, we were underwater uh, because real estate in Florida did not bounce back, um, you know, as quickly as I thought it would. So we're 12 years into that investment and it's uh, almost at the dollar amount that we paid for it. So, um, you know, we'd need it to exceed 150,000, uh, you know, for us to like, you know, really break even on it. And how did you find that property? Does your sister live down there or how did you decide to buy my, something in Florida? Yeah, my, my sister lives down there. And at the time she was dating someone who was a real estate broker. And um, my sister actually owns um, two other properties in addition to that. Um, so she's she's really kind of worked that and at the time that she knew of this um, condo complex uh, she had a friend that lived there and they were just converting them over to condo units where they renovated the you know all the buildings so um, she found that we could get a, a second floor unit it's only two-story buildings a second floor unit in the corner which is you know a um, uh, a more desirable property, and um, it had been newly renovated. So, I mean, we you know considering the real estate market, we we paid pretty much top dollar for it, and then 
2007 and 2008, you know, we kind of know what happened then. And Florida was like one of the worst hit. And um, I would say just about now it's it's come back to what we bought it at. But, you know, like I said, as long as someone's paying the mortgage, it's really not, uh, you know, it's not bad. And I was the one willing to hold out and wait until it got back up to, you know, near what we bought it at. She wanted to ditch it years ago. And I was like, no, that's just crazy. You know, if we have a tenant that's paying the mortgage, you know, what's the big deal, you know? And you, I assume you hire a management company. How much do you pay them? No, my sister's the management company. Oh, she does everything. Okay. (laughs) Her her and her boyfriend, um, they handle, you know, she interviews all the tenants. Um, They, you know, they repaint the place. I mean, uh, obviously, with me being here in New York, it's kind of understandable that she doesn't expect me to go down there um, every time a tenant moves out to help her repaint and clean and do whatever. So, um, you know, she kind of shoulders that, which sometimes she's good natured about and sometimes not, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, when you have a tenant, how much does that property cash flow a month? Oh, uh, right now, uh, we we just barely break even. In fact, we're probably short maybe 40, 50 bucks a month. So every couple of months, we still put in a little bit to cover everything. But, you know, so it's not the success story that you see if you pull a, a, I mean, I read a lot of books. Um, You know, I was a big fan of the Brooklyn Business Library. I don't know if you're familiar with that, uh, Clark. But I read, um, you know, probably a whole shelf of, you know, real estate books, and they all claim how, you know, you make this work and you flip properties like there's no tomorrow and you're making money left and right. And, you know, it's not quite that success story. But, um, uh, you know, at this point, I've I've considered using it as either a future retirement home or, um, uh, you know, a, a vacation stopover eventually. Um, but, I don't know. Florida's a little too hot for me. I'm 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 considering other retirement locations. So, but you know that is something that crossed my mind. And you know, as long as we haven't sold it, we haven't taken a loss. Yeah. Talk about you mentioned at the beginning how maybe you thought you wouldn't end up here, but how you kind of made that switch to to maybe caring or being more aware of your finances. How did that happen? Was it when you lost the job, or what kind of triggered that switch? Um. Uh, I would say it was when I started working at my government job and after a year, you're allowed to telework. And once I was able to telework, I was sitting in my home office upstairs where I keep all my investment paperwork saved. And it was the first time in I don't know how many years I actually got a chance to look at those folders and those statements. And I said, what is this? I own all these you know, over the years, I've invested in, you know, drip accounts, dividend reinvestment plans. And, you know, I had money in, I, I was very good about when I left jobs and I had 401ks, I rolled everything into my IRAs. So everything was all in one place. But I finally got to sort of, you know, sift through that whole thing, get it down in front of me, look at everything, figure out what I was doing with these accounts. Do I own one share? Do I own 10? Some of them had split offs and um, uh, I had stock from other companies that I wasn't even aware of because I just got issued a certificate for something that, 
you know, I wasn't aware of because of some split off. So I took the certificate, I threw it in the drawer and I forgot about it. So um, I finally had a chance to, you know, really focus on all that. And um, uh, I followed up on every on every single uh, stock certificate I had to make sure that I still had the account. Um, I followed up on every statement to, or every account to bring it to, you know, up to date in terms of the dividends that I had um, um, earned and had per um, had reinvested to earn additional shares. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it was a lot of fun and it was, it was um, really interesting to kind of really take a look at what, at what I own because I was working so much before I had the IRS job, uh, my, my government job that, um, I wasn't paying attention to it. And I just thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm making good money. Um, you know, I had the workaholic mentality, like, you know, I guess um, I'm going to be working forever. And I always really was very ambitious about my career. So I had moved up in positions and, and had always, you know, progressed in salary. So whatever I got in my 401k was great. And I wasn't really that serious about how I was working my investments and making that work for me. Um, uh, so that was the turnaround point when, when I really had time to look at it. Um, if I could just continue on that. Um, the other thing was after I had earned my CFP and also again had more time on my hands, I started I became a little bit more serious about reading, reading up on, um, you know, how to, how to invest conservatively and successfully, um, and yet really put some energy into it. So I read a number of books and, um, I, I really just became a lot more focused on it. So that was, that was the turning point for me. Gotcha. So a combination of a couple of things. So before the government job that you've taken, did you max out your 401ks at previous companies? Did you max out your IRAs each year or, or how to, what, what did that look like? Um, I absolutely maxed out my, my uh, 401ks. Um, I can't remember the first year that I did that. Um, i trying to remember because I really didn't start. I had about six or seven years of, you know, pretty high salaries like, um, getting close to 150 or, or above. Um, prior to that, you know, it was like steps here and there along the way. And, you know, maybe I did five or 6% of my salary. And that was, I was kind of okay with that because, you know, I was still in my thirties, you know, like you don't think about, it's unfortunate because you don't think about, oh, you know, one of these days I'm going to be looking to retire. Um, you know, it's a little bit of the immaturity that it seems like so far away that, you, you don't, you don't really make the effort that you should, you know? Um, so, you know, that, that's, that's one of the mistakes there, I guess. But, you know, when, when you're in your thirties and you're a new homeowner and you have a lot of expenses and you have other, um, other things that you want to accomplish in life and, you know, you want to reach certain like financial milestones, um, you know, the retirement percentage, yeah, you know, you try and increase it every year, but I would say I didn't max out until 
probably about 2001 or 2002. Um, and at one point, my salary was so high that I was not able to in, um, contribute to a Roth IRA. So um, what I did at the time was uh, I was contributing to my traditional IRA making after-tax contributions. So I, I did, even though I wasn't really like that great with my investment strategy, um, I, I did try to put away as, as much as possible once I was at you know a, a really good income level. Good stuff. So where do you kind of go from here? Do you have you know early retirement plans? Are you trying to hit a certain number, net worth? Um, I would love to retire early, and I've really been thinking about that. But with the government job, the um, the uh, the pension incentives are just too just you know too attractive to give up. Like if if I left at fifty nine and a half and um, waited for my um, my pension to kick in, it would be a lot less than you know, what I could earn if I kept working a few more years. So um, it's, um, it's, it's very enticing and, and it's, it's a little bit hard to give up prematurely. So I'm not quite sure. I mean, I would love to retire at 59 and a half. I don't think it would make sense for me to retire before that. And plus, I also kind of feel like, well, you know, what would I do with myself? I, I, I'm not quite ready to stop working. Um, plus, I have the benefit of uh, working from home pretty much 50 to 60% of the week. So I, I, I almost feel like I'm a little bit semi-retired now because, um, you know, I work from home a lot. So it gives me a lot of um, uh, autonomy and control over my time, which I never had before. This just feels like I live in another dimension um, I mean, th there were summers that I didn't even see the light of day when I was working in public accounting. And now I can shut down at 4 o'clock or 4.30. Uh, you know, I can go to appointments. I can get things done. I, I, I can, you know, go to an exercise class. I can work out. I can go out for a jog. I'm not sleep deprived. I mean, you know, it's totally, totally different than what I'm used to. So... With that kind of lifestyle, it's um, it's 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 okay to think about you know putting in a few extra years. Yeah, that's great. So, yeah. as you as you get closer to that retirement age, do you have any plans to kind of change your portfolio allocation? I know before we we got on the uh, the show, you mentioned that you might look at selling your primary residence and moving down somewhere else to retire. What, what's kind of the plan with, with how you're going to allocate your investments as you approach retirement? Well, the, the plan right now, and it has been for the last uh, four or five years or so, is um, to continue investing heavily in, in dividend, um, in good dividend-paying stocks. Um, those would be, um, you know, the ones that have um, a good history a very long history of dividend um, of, of paying dividends to investors, and um, that have uh, good growth potential. Um, you know, reliable companies that have good management, and um, uh, you know, have uh, uh, you know the, the the fundamental 
um, if I could throw out the terms like moat and things like that, um, you know, they have all the good fundamental indicators. Um, so that's one thing is the dividend paying stocks, but I'm also into, um, you know, a lot of the technology, which I, you know, I, I feel like since I left corporate America that I don't want to fall behind in, you know, what's really going on in the world, like what's sort of the next best thing. And since 2015, I've been researching where all this technology is going. And um, uh, in terms of uh, companies that are investing in cloud, um, artificial intelligence, um, uh, and what are some of those other buzzwords out there? Um, just e-commerce. So, you know, I've invested um, very uh, methodically into companies like Amazon, Salesforce, Viva, um, uh, Alibaba. Um, I've just started investing in PayPal. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a little bit more difficult now because I make less money. To, and, of course, my household bills are higher than they were 10 or 15 years ago. But I made the mistake years ago of just saying, well, you know, I don't have $5,000 in my pocket, so I'm not going to throw it into this account Well, or a stock. <clears throat> but now what I do to sort of retrain my mind into avoiding making the investment is I'll buy something 10 shares at a time, and I don't really miss that money. So if something is... 50 60 or 70 dollars a share um i'll take that 500 600 or 700 of that for that month and buy 10 shares and then next month i'll buy another 10 shares and i'll just let it snowball until i'm at you know what where i'm happy with my investment and that's pretty much how i've built up those um those the investments in those stocks that i just mentioned plus also um Branching out into, um, uh, you know, uh, as it relates to, um, you know, how my portfolio is changing, I kind of am getting concerned that I'm a little he heavy in stocks. So I've started to um, branch out into like tips and I want to put more money into um, some, some short term or um, intermediate term bond funds. So I've been working towards that also. In the beginning of the year when I invested in my, my Roth IRA, that money went straight into a tips fund in my Vanguard account. Do you know how much you spend each year? Or do you, do you track your spending? Or, or are you just aware of it? How do you do that? No, I watch that like a hawk. <laughs> um, my monthly bills probably run about um, $3,000 a month. And that includes everything like, you know, all the incidentals, like all the, um, you know, all the things I buy on my credit card for household things that I need. Um, so I would say, you know, and food and, um, you know, what we might spend on takeout or going out to dinner, um, you know, some miscellaneous entertaining. Um, so that's it. It averages out to about three thousand dollars a month. Gotcha. And do you have any other debt? You talked about that home equity loan. Anything else besides that, cars or anything? Um, no, no debt on the cars. Um, my one car is 21 years old. And, um, 
you know, th this is a departure from society is, you know, because we get judged on what we drive. But, you know, because I work from home or I work in the city, my 21-year-old car is my station car. And I can't even justify to myself buying and spending the money on something newer or a new car because it's going to sit in the driveway or it's going to sit in the parking lot. Yeah. So I'm going to pay interest and... I probably wouldn't want a payment. I'd probably want to save up and or have, have a very low payment um, or have some sort of a loan that I pay off on my own terms, not with a, I mean, what we used to have a coupon book, but not sure. have a monthly payment. But, um, uh, you know, just not having that cost is such a benefit to me. And it's very hard for me to justify spending money on that. Um, you know, because of the job situation that I'm in. So my other car is 10 years old. Um, and at the time that was the, my peak salary, um, I spent way too much money on it, but I still have it. I own it. Um, it's 10 years old, but it looks brand new. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to drive both of them until it makes sense to replace them. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, I got some uh, some rapid fire millionaire questions for you. So, the most expensive jeans or pants you've ever purchased? Oh, I'm. I might have paid. I can't even remember, but I might have paid seventy five dollars for. An, I don't think jeans. Maybe other pants. Like work. I spend most of my money on work clothes, and I don't even do that anymore because I don't have to. Okay. So that that would be where my where my clothing expenses would have clothing expenses would have been high, but not on jeans. Okay. What about most expensive pair of shoes? Oh, okay. Now we're talking. Um, <laughs> uh, at the time that I got a raise, I um, I think I spent one hundred and fifty dollars on a pair of Stuart Weitzman, really nice, beautiful shoes. Um, but I, you know, I'm I'm pretty. Uh, I'm pretty sensible when it comes to, uh, you know, splurging. So I, I, I still watch that pretty carefully and I, I don't go crazy. Okay. Most expensive car. Uh, it, that's my Audi A5 that I paid about $60,000 for. Okay. <laughs> Most expensive meal out that you've paid for. Not Deloitte. That'll run you. Um, <laughs> Oh, when I had my Deloitte credit card, I was very popular. Um, <laughs> uh, I probably at one of the fancier, more posh restaurants around here, I probably paid maybe for drinks and dinner, maybe close to $100. Okay. Your uh, high school and college GPA, if you remember. Uh, well, my college GPA wasn't that great. When I got my master's, I'd rather talk about that one. It was 375. Um, you know, when we talk about his financial history, um, you know, I certainly did not have, um, uh, you know, a very generous family situation. So when I was in my undergraduate years, I really didn't have any help. And it... Um, it was a huge stress. 
and my grades suffered because of it. So I was I was only like a B student, if you know, maybe B minus or something, for that reason. And uh, um, but when I got my master's degree, when I went at night and I was working, um, you know, I had a I had a three seven five or three eight average. Nice. nice. Um, and then your range of income through working when you started out of college to your high oh. point. Okay, well, I've had a very long career, so I started a long time ago at, I think, 19000 and my peak salary was 185000 yeah. And then last question, what's worth the money to you? What's worth spending more money on? Food, cars, vacations? Um... Well, I own, I, I have to admit, I do splurge on certain things. Um, I own two Marriott timeshares. But one I bought secondhand. I didn't buy it directly from Marriott. And I got it less than half the cost of um, uh, if I had bought it directly from Marriott. And that's sort of a sad story. When I lost my job, I had the week prior just bought that Marriott timeshare. And I, luckily, I was within my uh, uh, that rescission period to um, back out of the contract. Um, so when I kind of got my career back, uh, you know, back on a, back on track, um, I went on the website where people sell their timeshares, and I wound up getting the same exact thing for a fraction of the cost. And I was like, where do I sign? So. Um, I bought that and then I wound up um, buying a, uh, you know, they don't do the weeks based anymore. They do points based and mm -hmm. I wound up buying a points based ownership as well. So gotcha. that that's gotcha. like pretty much my major splurge um, is, uh, you know, vacationing. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Dora, with a net worth of 1.2 million, thank you for coming on the show today. Okay. Thanks so much. Great talking to you guys. Thanks, Dora. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.